God is good, isn't he? We're going to preach about Eliab this morning. Eliab, as we continue the series, Can You Relate? Can you relate? Looking at relationships, or probably more relational concepts, in the life of David. Today we're looking at Eliab, and it's Eliab's ego. Eliab is David's older brother. He is, in fact, the oldest of the litter. He's the oldest of the family of all the boys of Jesse. And he had some ego issues that we want to look at. We're coming from 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. And again, that would be a good chapter to read this week and even the future chapters there as we go through two more weeks after this one in this particular series. But we're looking at Eliab's ego. I thought about using the line, let go of my ego. I thought that might be a little cheesy. So um, you remember the commercial, let go my ego. Anybody remember that? Let go my ego. Well, I thought, let go my ego. And I think all of us at times need to say, Holy Spirit, help me let go of my ego. Now I'm going to hold on to my ego. Amen. (laughs) The bigger a man's head gets the easier it is to fill his shoes one person said another person said that an ego trip is a journey to nowhere you may have heard somebody say this before my friends say i'm egocentric but enough about them (laughs) we looked at david last week or two weeks ago and david had a heart of humility And because of his heart for God, because of that heart of humility. Now, we'll see in the book of Samuel, 1st and 2nd Samuel, you'll see that David was not a perfect man. But David had a heart of humility. And when David messed up, he came back to God and and repented. David had a heart of humility. And now, thousands of years later, we know about him because God used him. He left a legacy. He made a difference. Christ even came, humanly speaking, from the lineage of David. But his older brother, Eliab, had an ego problem. We have to think a little bit about how to even pronounce his name. As I was studying a few weeks ago, I, I thought, okay, now how are we going to say this? Eliab, he's not as familiar, is he? His ego problem got in the way. He's a very little known figure in the scriptures. And I wonder about Eliab, and I wonder had he taken a different approach? Could the narrative in the scriptures about Eliab been Different, And could he may have been a great support to his brother? Could he have possibly been a great encouragement to who God had anointed? And he would have been a great example to us. But unfortunately, the narrative didn't go that way in Eliab's life. So what we see here between David and Eliab is a powerful example of a contrast between unhealthy ego and unhealthy pride and humility. Eliab's ego and pride, but David's humility. And we see that God works through humility. And God resists, the the Proverbs said he resists the proud. He hates a proud look, even. So an inflated ego can lead us uh, to a deflated future. So what's our goal this morning in this sermon as we look at these scriptures and we talk about Eliab? Our goal is for us to, to ask the Holy Spirit. Remember the other week I said, uh, that little song created me a clean heart, oh God, that little psalm. And then 
Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, make, may I be like you. And let that be our prayer this morning as we look at these topics and say, change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Make my heart to be more like you. May I have a healthy, biblical self-esteem that is not too high and that's not too low, but healthy and biblical and balanced of who I am in Christ, but in also balanced by how much I need Christ in my life and that I'm nothing without him. So the conversation this morning that we look at in the, this, this sermon comes between David and his older brother Eliab. And let's look here at 1 Samuel 17 and 28. It said this, Now Eliab, David's oldest brother, Heard when he spoke to the men. David has been sent by Jesse to the battlefield. The context of this is you have Goliath and the Philistines on one side. And you have the Israelites led by King Saul on the other. And Goliath is continually coming out and tormenting and taunting the Israelites and saying, who is going to fight me? I defy you. I defy your God. I'm going to crush you. He's taunting them. They're afraid. King Saul is afraid. And Jesse sends his youngest son, David, down to the battlefield to check on the three brothers that were there. Three of them were there Fighting. We don't hear about the other two in this particular conversation, but three of them were there fighting, and, and Jesse sends some cheese and some other things to take to the commander and some provisions to take to the brothers, and he sends it by David, and David shows up. And so then Eliab hears him talking. Here's his little brother talking to the men, and it said, And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Eliab is definitely questioning the motives of David. Have you ever had your motives questioned by someone? Have you ever been very sincere in what you were trying to do, yet someone questioned your motive or they accused you of having false ambitions or false motives? That, that, that hurts when that happens, doesn't it? David was there by the request of his father. So David's motive in being there is a good example to us. He was there because of obedience. David could have looked at Jesse and said, I, I really don't want to go. I need to watch the sheep. It's going to be dangerous there. Or I want to go play my Xbox today or whatever. David could have tried to be disobedient. But David's motive was one of obedience. He was there by the request of his father. David was also really concerned about what was happening. As we read this passage, we see that something stirred in David's mind and more importantly, in David's heart. And David was very concerned about his people, the Israelites, his brothers, his king, his country. He was really concerned. He had what we called a few weeks ago, empathy. David was practicing empathy. So David's motives were of obedience. His motives were of of empathy. He had empathy towards what was happening. He cared. And then thirdly, David was resolved to take action. 
He sees the giant and he starts asking questions because something is stirring in him. And he's thinking, don't we need to do something? We are God's people. God is with us. God is against him. Shouldn't we be able to, to fight this giant, kill this giant, and win a, the victory for the Lord? He was resolved to take action. So he had a willing heart. But yet Eliab, his older brother, met him with condemnation. And he made some comments to David. Now, I won't tell you this morning, and I'll tell you from experience. Any time that we step out to do something for God, there are going to be some Eliabs that come our way with some comments. And they're not going to be encouraging comments. And it's almost like a law. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, when I do good, it seems that it's a law that evil is present. And, and sometimes you think of evil, you know, that's just big, big things coming. But a lot of evil can be in just a little snide comment, right? Or a little discouraging comment. I remember uh, some number of years ago, probably about 20 years ago by now, I've always sung in church uh, since I was Five years old, the pastor one random Sunday night called me to come up to sing. And my mother thought, what is he going to sing? I, I to this day, don't understand why he called me up to sing. But he called me up to sing. And from then on out, they kept calling me up to sing. I guess they were cruising for a bruising. I don't know, but they kept calling me up to sing. But I've sung all my life. But I remember about 20 years ago, I was at a church. And that was probably my main ministry in that church was singing. And I had this brand new song that had come out through the fire by the Crab family. Everybody remember that song? And I was going to sing that song, and we practiced that song. And, and I got up that Sunday night to sing that song, and it was not through the fire. <laughs> it was not good. And no one needed to tell me it wasn't good. I knew when I sat down that something wasn't right. I wasn't in the right range. I wasn't in the right key. It, it didn't go well. And a young lady, and she didn't mean anything by it. She didn't mean anything by it at all. And she was just an older teenager, I think, at the time. So I'm, I'm not upset about it. But she, she said, well, boy, you can't sing that song. I thought, well, boy, you didn't have to tell me. <laughs> I already know. I already know. But I could have let that fester, right? Right? I mean, we, we, even people we know that we know they love us, we know this or that. And I, and I know she was a friend and this and that, but I could have let that fester, right? Somebody criticizes it. it when, when you put yourself out there, you become vulnerable, don't you? Like every Sunday morning when I come up here and, and preach, I, I'm becoming a little vulnerable. I'm in front of crowds and there's people online and, and, and you, you know, you can let that thing that can play with your head. But anything we do for God and we step out, we can be, we're putting ourselves a little vulnerable for criticism possibly even. Or comments that might hurt our feelings or, or hurt our pride. And so this comment about the song, I could have sulked in that. And I could have said, well, I'm not going to sing anymore. I've been singing since I was five years old. But if people are going to say that, I'll just forget it. I'm not going to sing anymore more or I could have said I'm just giving up on that song I'm done but you know what the piano player who was one of the best musicians I've ever been around he helped me we practiced that song and God used me to sing that song many many other times and the Holy Spirit ministered through through that song in the future in many significant ways 
I didn't listen to the Eliab comment. And I want to encourage you, as you work for God, don't listen to the Eliab comment. I promise you that they will come. Secondly, David didn't listen to Goliath's taunting Goliath was, called him a dog. Goliath was telling him, I'm going to feed you to the birds. Goliath was taunting and, you know, I'm going to get you. And sometimes the challenge can seem too great. Whether it's the challenge at the workplace, whether it's the challenge in your family, whether it's the challenge you're trying to do something for God or your financial situation, whatever, the challenge can taunt us, can it? Have you ever looked at the bills and looked at the checkbook and the bills seem to be like this, and the checkbook seems to be like that? Or have you ever walked into the workplace and you just feel so overwhelmed or so challenged? Or maybe you're taking a class and you've got a 15-page paper to write, or whatever it might be, sometimes the challenge will taunt us. But David did not listen or focus on the taunting. He focused on the cause. And that's what we have to do. Thirdly, David didn't listen and he didn't get shaken by Saul's doubting. Saul was paralyzed. Saul was the king. Saul was the one who should have been out fighting Goliath. It was Saul's responsibility. Saul was the king. He was the one that should have been leading the way, but he was paralyzed. And unfortunately, there'll be times in our lives that people maybe that we look to as, as leaders or as mentors or as influencers, sometimes they don't always do what they need to do. Now, do we give up on them? No. We realize we're all human, but we don't let that discourage us from continuing on in the way that we should go. We pray for them as God helps them get through their season, right? But it was doubting. There was a lot of doubt around. Not just Saul's doubting, but the, the men in the, in the trenches and their doubting. And, and then the doubting of David's ability. Dave, you can't do this. You can't, you can't fight Goliath. You're just a teenager. I remember when I was first starting to take master's degree classes to become a principal, to, to go into school administration. And I was probably 23 or 24 years old. And they gave us, as part of the class, a survey to give to your colleagues, the other teachers, and have them serve, get, fill it out anonymously about what leadership abilities they thought you had. Now, I'm like 23, 24 years old, and, and so I'm brand new to the school, and everybody was gracious and kind, and I gave them the survey, and they all marked nice things. Whether they thought them or not, they marked them. And I, you know, I'm 23 years old. They're probably thinking, what in the world? He thinks he's going to you know, run the place. But one of the people, a gentleman who was uh, my department head, he was a little sarcastic, and I don't think he totally meant what he said, but I handed him the survey, told him what it was about, and he looked at me and he said, you? Like, are you kidding me? You? And then he, and he filled it out and whatever. But I could have let that doubt stop me. I could have said, you know what? He's right. I'm 23 years old. What am I thinking? I'll wait until I'm 33. Then I'll take these classes. Then people will respect me. Then they will respond to me. I didn't listen to that doubting. And about three years later, he was sitting in my office while I was doing his evaluation. <laughs> we can't listen to the doubts that people will throw at us. 
You, you, you step out, you say, I'm called to do this, I'm called to do that, I'm going to take this class, I'm going to seek that promotion, I'm going to work hard, I, I'm going to do something for God. Whatever it is, the doubters are going to be there, I promise you, but don't listen to the doubters. If you know in your heart that God has called you to it, stick to it, amen? Stick to it. David went out that day, and here's how David was able to stick to it. He got a sling, he got stones, he went out to fight Goliath, Goliath the giant, Goliath who was taunting everybody. But David said, you come to me with a spear and a sword. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. Amen. That's how we approach these things. That's how we approach every challenge. That's how we approach every opportunity. That's how we approach every, every ministry for God. If we go in it and say, I'm not going in it with my own strength, with my own abilities. I'm going in it in the name of the Lord and through the power of the Lord. And the Lord of hosts has never lost a battle. And I can promise you this, he doesn't plan on losing a battle. I come to you. In the name of the Lord. David's confidence was in God. He had a right heart. He had, he had an humble heart. He had an obedient heart. He had a willing heart. He had some righteous indignation in his heart. But he knew that God was going to be with him and the giant would fall. So let's look at some practical applications of some of this this morning. Eliab did some things that you and I should try to avoid. One was he was angry. He was angry. Little brother shows up at the battlefield. He was angry. Now, I wonder why he got angry so quick. You know, sibling rivalry and stuff, we, we, we understand some of that. But you remember Eliab was the first one that passed before Samuel. When Samuel came to their house to anoint his king. And no doubt Eliab thought, I'm the one. I'm the man. I am the king. I'm the head honcho. Jesse thought it was going to be Eliab. But Eliab got passed over. The Holy Spirit spoke to Samuel and said, no, don't look at the outside. Look on the inside. So Eliab might have had some resentment that he hadn't dealt with. And can I ask you this morning, and maybe as we pray at the end of the service today, if there's some resentment in our hearts towards someone, you know, sometimes we move on with life, but that resentment's kind of down there festering. And then we see them again, and it, whew, you ever been there, done that? And then you realize, oh, ooh, that's, that's not good. That's not good feelings. And, and I wonder if Eliab had not dealt with some of the jealousy and some of the resentment maybe. And because when David showed up, man, he was hot. He was mad pretty quick. What are you doing here? Well, then he started questioning David's motives. He said, why are you here? You have come to see the battle. You are trying to be a, a big shot. You know what I think that Eliab was doing there? And it's something that all of us should try to avoid. Eliab was projecting onto David what he felt himself. And if we aren't careful, sometimes we can fall into any number of things. We can fall into jealousy and we can start looking at somebody else and saying, well, they're a jealous person. 
or they have this motive. And we're thinking they have that motive really because that's what's in our heart. And that's how we feel. And so Eliab, I think, was probably hoping to be a hero. He was hoping to get some recognition. And so then David shows up and he's like, you're down here because you want to you see what's going on. You want to you get in the limelight, so to speak. Then he said this, another thing we should avoid. He said, why must, he said, he said, why aren't you there in the field watching those large flocks of sheep? Is that what he said? <laughs> he said, why aren't you back there watching those few sheep? He minimized David. He minimized David. Have we ever done that before? Somebody maybe gets a new car and they're happy about it and other people are happy about it and maybe we say something like, well, I sure wouldn't want that car payment. (laughs) Right? Well, I sure wouldn't want all that land to have to mow every week. I sure wouldn't want that. What are we doing? What, 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 right? What are we, am I meddling a little bit this morning? <laughs> what, what, what are we doing when we, when we make comments like that? You know? Somebody loses a little weight and we say, well, they, they could probably lose the 20 more. You know, what are we doing there? We're minimizing them. Right? Right? And then we need to check our heart. And, and Eliab said, why aren't you back there watching those few sheep? You stay where you're supposed to be. Those few sheep. You're not that important yet, old boy. Don't allow these things in our lives. Don't project onto other people and accuse them of things that maybe are in our own heart. Don't don't minimize what, what God is doing or blessing for someone else. Don't be angry or jealous because what God is doing for them. Don't let those things in our lives, don't let them hinder our lives. Again, I can't help but wonder if Eliab had prayed through, if you will, and had realized God had anointed David, how would this story have been written? Eliab might have been out there with David. We might have been celebrating David and Eliab. David certainly was going to be the king. God anointed him king. But Eliab might have ended up being his right-hand man. Who knows what? But, But wherever God has placed us, let's be content with that and do it for the glory of God. And if someone else around us seems to be Getting promoted, let's be happy for them, support them, do what God has called us to do. Amen? Jesus' example in closing this morning. In all these sermons, I have tried to end them with something from the New Testament, specifically tying to Jesus, to show us an example of these concepts that that we're trying to see in the relational lives of David. In Matthew 20, 20 through 28, we see James and John and their mama. And mama's trying to convey a request, a self-serving request, a proud, prideful request to Jesus. Let's look at it, Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him. So that's James and John's mother came to Jesus with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And Jesus said to her, what do you wish? And she said to Jesus, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. 
But Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Can I, can I tell you this morning that serving the Lord is not always the easy thing? And when you go into ministry, it's definitely not an easy thing. And it's easy to look at maybe a minister up on a stage or a platform somewhere and, and be like this mother here and say, Lord, put my son up there. Put both of my sons up there. Jesus says, are you willing to be drink the cup and be baptized with the fire that you have to go through? There's a burden. There's, there's a pressure. There's a struggle. There's a fight. And you know it's not just in the ministry on the platform. It's in anything that we try to do for God there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be things and people and places that we have to leave behind or give up. And so Jesus is saying, all right, you don't know what you're asking for. You want them to drink the cup? You want them to be baptized with what I'm baptized with? She's looking at the position. We need to be looking at the service, the serving part. They said to him, we are able. Verse 23. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared for by the Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Why were they greatly displeased? Because they wanted to sit on the right hand and on the left hand. I want the state bishop to recognize me, not the, uh, not the person down the street. That's what they would have said if it had been Church of God. <laughs> they were displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Here it is. But whoever desires to become great, among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Verse 27. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, just as Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. So I say this morning, in everything that we do, our families, our careers, our ministry for God, our lives, we should start with the why. Why am I doing this? Start with a motive check. Holy Spirit, are you leading me to do this? Scriptures, are you instructing me to do this? And then why am I doing this? Am I doing this to sit on the right and the left? Or am I doing this because I want to be a servant of God and a servant of my fellow man? Is my motive to bring glory to God? Those of you in this house that are young people and you're, you're heading towards your future careers, let me tell you the best thing you can do before you start taking your training or your apprenticeship or your courses or whatever you might do is to find out from God what he wants you to do and why he wants you to do it so that every morning you can get up and you can say, I'm going to work today to glorify God. 
I'm going to work today to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. I'm going to work today to fulfill a purpose that is greater than myself. I think we could all do that, couldn't we? Whatever it is you're going to be doing tomorrow, we can do it out of a heart that loves God and loves others. And our motivation can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to bring glory to God. John MacArthur said the greatest glory goes to those who sacrifice, spend, and suffer the most for Christ. So you ask me, Pastor Greg, how did James and John, how'd they end up? Did them and their mother get their priorities straight? Did they get their motives straight? Well, I'm glad to report to you that they did. James was beheaded for the cause of Christ. He died as a martyr. Now that doesn't sound too exciting, does it? But he paid the ultimate sacrifice for God. He was beheaded for the cause of Christ. John had his motives right. John became sold out, powerful for God. John was tortured. John was put in oil and they tried to burn, boil him alive. But they couldn't boil the old guy. He was tough as nails. They pulled him out and they put him on an island called Patmos. And he wrote the book, as God showed him, of Revelation. He was tortured, exiled to Patmos for the cause of Christ. Did those two boys get their motives right? They did. They got straightened out. They, they got it. And I believe if they did, you and me can also. For God and for others. I'll return to this right before we pray. Back to David for a second. David said when he went out to face Goliath, he said, then all the world will know, it's in verse 46, all the world will know that Israel has a God. That was his why. That was his purpose. That was his motive. That all the world will know that Israel has a God. Verse 47 said, this whole assembly will know that it's not by sword, it's not by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord and he will hand it over to us. Do you believe that this morning? The battle is the Lord's and he will hand it over to us. Our job is to keep our motives in check. His job is to win our battles. Our job is to keep our hearts right and humble before him. And his job is to bring the victory for us. Would you stand with me this morning? If you believe the word of the Lord today, say amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Can we pray this morning? Can we ask the Holy Spirit to check our hearts? And if any of these things we were a little restless with as we were talking about them, or if the Holy Spirit kind of pricked us a little bit as we were talking about any of these things, today would be a good day to say, Lord, help me. Help me with my pride. Help me, help me with my motives. Help me with jealousy. Help me with anger. Help me with these things. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we thank you, God, for the examples that we see in Scripture. Sometimes they're godly examples, and sometimes, like with Eliab, they're examples that were, were not godly, but we can learn from them, and we can avoid those mistakes. I ask you this morning, Lord, to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit in us. I ask you, Lord, to change our heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change our hearts and may they be more like you. Let us take a, a lesson like this this morning, a sermon like this, and let us apply it both spiritually 
and practically to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives. And Lord, let us serve you with humbleness and with gladness and to bring glory and honor to you and help us to forgive and help us to love and help us to support others, Lord, even as they might seem to be advancing or or growing or expanding or, or even if they're our rivals or whatever it might be. But God, let us serve you with gladness, with humility and to love others and to support others and to be a blessing to them and to be glory and honor to you in all that we do and everything that we do let it be backed up by the right motive let it be by a pure motive and a pure heart I pray bless your people this morning as we pray as we worship as this altar is open and Lord meet every need and let each one leave having been touched and stirred and ministered to by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit in Jesus name amen and amen You can continue praying and worshiping. This altar is open if you want to come and pray or be prayed for. But let's allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us before we leave this place today.